Hello, everyone. My name is Nika Shirell, and this is the ItCast Real Talk on Sex. Welcome to our first episode of 2021. Today, we have Lisa Blanchard of the Grateful Garment Project here with us to talk about some really powerful opportunities that she's creating in the Bay Area around healing from sexual violence and really saving people from a number of things that come up as we step into the realm of sexuality. So, uh, Lisa, I would love to have you share a little bit about who you are, what got you uh, started with Grateful Garment, and why this work is important. Please share. Thank you. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me here today. I'm so excited and honored. Um, the Grateful Garment Project, it was, it was never the plan to start a nonprofit. I was going to school. I didn't start going to college until I was 35. Um, and I started going to school, and I decided I was going to become a psychologist. And I had a business degree in an associates, and so I needed a crossover degree to become a psychologist. And so I ended up going to Notre Dame Jenna Moore and getting my degree in human services. And as a part of that degree track, instead of doing an internship like a lot of people do with their degrees, I had to do a capstone project. And I heard that when victims people have been victims of some form of sexual violence and they report it they're given the opportunity to go to the hospital and undergo the forensic exam we know as a rape kit and when somebody goes through this process as a part of it you're put on the sheet it's a clean room exam and they ask you to remove your articles of clothing one at a time and then they bag and tag it and when this exam is finally all over, and it's a really long exam, a minimum of three and a half hours, when it's all over, what are you going to wear home? Because you've just given up all your clothes. If they're not clothes available, what happens is people are provided things like paper scrubs or paper hospital gowns. It's kind of like wearing a paper towel home. And I just heard that was happening in my community, and I found that really unacceptable. And so I decided to start a clothing closet at the facility closest to my house. And that was in San Jose. I live in San Jose. And what started as a simple class project has just blown up and just become this statewide organization. It, it's really amazing to think about. Wow. So every day, the resources that my organization provides help 30 to 50 people every day seven days a week, 365 days a year in California. So so if I'm getting this correctly, you actually provide clothes at the hospital for people who've just undergone this experience. Yes. So what we do is we establish resource closets. Um, that's the name of our program. And um, if there's not one that exists already, we establish one. If there is a resource closet there, then we fully stock it and we make it available for agencies to replenish it whenever they've utilized all the resources. And we do this all over the state of California. We work with agencies in 50 different counties. And all of the resources and all the clothes that we provide, they're all brand new. But most resource closets, they're stocked between the age of 2T, two toddler, to 4 or 5X adults. So no matter what age, shape, size, gender you are, they're always brand new clothes for people to wear. What you're doing, you know, with Grateful Garment Project and um, you use the word dignity. 
And like, I'm really hearing that this is really step one in the healing process. Like if you even go to the hospital and you begin this journey and this conversation, this might be the first encounter that you have with like a moment of kindness. Um, can you say more about like the healing process, what it looks like and why it's important? But I think about it, you know, sexual violence for most people is probably going to be the most horrible thing they'll ever experience. And, you know, if we talk about the sheer numbers, by the time women are my age, three out of four of them have been sexually violated in some way in their life. And by the time men are my age, one half of them have been sexually violated. So it's happening all around us. Somebody is sexually assaulted, they report it. If they make the choice to go to the hospital, which the lion's share of them don't, it's estimated only 20 or 25% ever go to the hospital, report it, go, undergo a forensic exam. There, there's not only the physical trauma to your body, but there's an emotional trauma, a mental trauma, for a lot of people even a, a spiritual trauma, right? And the recovery process for that is is not a, a small thing. It's not like you have a cold. There's the physical ramifications, you know, uh, STDs, a prime example, if, if you contract an STD as a result of this, you know, syphilis still makes people go blind and mad, right? HIV, something you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. You know, they, we need them going to the hospital so we can make sure that people are treated for these types of things. Also, the emotional component of it all. When you go to the hospital to undergo what they call a sexual assault response team exam, a SART exam, what you get is you get access to an advocate. You're being thrust into a world that includes, you know, not only the medical treatment, but law enforcement, possibly the courts, just so many different factors. And it's just overwhelming and difficult to navigate. Also, you're going to need things like counseling or case management, or what if the sexual violence takes, took place at home? and home was not a safe place to be, you were gonna need temporary shelter or a safe house. And so an advocate is the person that sort of helps people navigate that process. And then also the counseling, you know, being able to be there in a very impartial way. It's so impartial that it holds the same confidentiality that attorney-client privilege holds. And so it's really significant. So we want, survivors not only reporting the abuse they've gone to because most sexual predators are, it's not a one-off thing. They don't just do it once and never do it again. It tends to be surreal in nature and they do it again and again until they're caught. Not only do we want them to go through the exam so that their persecutors can be caught, but we want them to begin the healing process. So something as simple as receiving new clothes to put on instead of going home and a paper hospital gown says a lot. Also, on every single article of clothing, we put this little tag on it that says, this was provided to you by the Grateful Garment Project. We care. And so in that moment, they're putting on this clothing and they're realizing that someone out there cares. Chanel Miller, she's the Brock Turner Stanford swimmer case victim. She wrote a book, and in her book, she calls out Grateful Garment Project several times. And one of the times she talks about putting on this sweatshirt and finding this tag that says, 
This was provided by the Grateful Government Project. We care. And like she got that even in that moment when she was feeling hurt and injured and struggling on so many levels, that somebody cared. Somebody cared that she had something warm and clean to wear home. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. You know, and I think that's one of the stories. I mean, locally, definitely, if not nationally, where we can really recall and point out and discuss the long-term traumatic effects of going through sexual assault. I bring this up a lot in my work because, you know, when it when we're in conversations about healing and trauma, it's very easy to have the experience of, oh, this isn't happening now, therefore it's not a big deal. When in actuality, it shapes and deeply impacts a, a, a large part of you know survivor's day-to-day life. So I have lots to say on that subject, if, if you want to hear. You know, <laughs> so I ended up changing my degree track after starting Grateful Garment. It just kind of took off my world. It went viral. It just blew up. And what started as one clothing closet, now we work with 103 agencies in 50 counties. And what started as one program, now we have six. And um, what I got in the process of changing my degree track and getting a master's in nonprofit administration, is I got the opportunity to do a lot of research around the realm of sexual violence. And there are studies that say that sexual violence, especially in children or young people, literally changes you on a cellular level. Like it changes your DNA. And uh, some people might say that sounds a little extreme, but it does. It alters your perception of the world. It alters for many people their capacity to have a normal, you know, what we would consider a normal sexual relationships. It alters uh, your self-worth and your esteem, right? It changes a person. You know, in the research I did, it talked about children that are victims of sexual violence, there, or even like teens, you know, there's like different avenues that they take. First of all, they could become a sexual predator themselves because sexual violence is a model behavior, like child abuse and racism and that type of stuff. Babies aren't born typically becoming a, a predator. Um, or they uh, become things like, you know, really rigid and shut off and closed off. You know, uh, they gain a bunch of weight or uh, they just have no functionality in relationship to being physically intimate. Or they go the totally opposite direction. Maybe they become super promiscuous. That's usually an early warning sign for a child when they become overtly sexual at a very young age. It's a symbol of them being sexually abused. And, you know, that carries on in in life. Um, it's not uncommon if somebody has sexually abused as a child to be raped again later in life because sometimes they make choices in their life that that put themselves in a, a dangerous situation. Um, or maybe they're fortunate and they get help. You know, they get counseling, they get the things they need to set their life on a better trajectory. Thank you so much. You just pointed to two major, um, major topics that I want to emphasize. And I, I end up in conversations around this consistently, but promiscuity in young girls 
and really like being able to see what's going on and not blame the child. That's mm. a conversation where it's really easy to be like, oh, well, you know, they're behaving a certain way. Well, it's like, okay, well, I, I get that. And as the adult, from the adult perspective, you should be able to see that that behavior is actually a sign of trauma. And that maybe not you should, but like take the opportunity to look a little bit beyond the surface. Um, the other thing that you pointed to was being assaulted later in life. So like not starting that healing conversation, not getting underneath those those distinct moments in our lives, it will resurface. It can resurface. Um, I'm a survivor myself and it, it took me over a year to have a conversation with someone. And then when I did, I began to realize actually how often I had put myself in harm's way. As I had a conversation recently with a woman who told me that she was sexually abused growing up by a member of her family. And then later in life, she's telling me she's been raped eight times. And she said it so kind of like not nonchalant, you know, like, uh, and this has happened eight times. And I remember I just stopped and I just looked at her with such concern because it was normal for her, right, to have people do this, these things to her body. And so, yeah, sexual violence at a young age or any age, really, but at, especially at a young age, can warp people's perception of what the world and life as a whole. And let's, this is great. Let's talk about normal. And yes. when we are so dissociated or desensitized to the conversations around consent, body awareness, like really like what is okay and what isn't okay, no matter what sexual paradigm you're in, um, we lose sight of how to like really move away from sexual violence. So can you talk more about like, just like the, the fact that it's so commonplace, it's like, oh, well, like, oh, okay, she was raped eight times. Like, I know some people were like, oh, well, isn't that just what happens to women? And it's like, wow, why mm. is that an okay thought? Why is that an okay thing? So I'd love to hear you say more about that. Well, let's just first of all say that it's not only women that are sexually assaulted. We regularly provide clothes for boys and men that are sexually assaulted. Um, men are, and boys are just less likely to talk about it. Uh, in California, three of the top 10 locations for human sexual trafficking exist, and San Francisco Bay Area being number one in the nation, and the hot commodity in the San Francisco Bay Area is not girls, it's 10, 11, and 12-year-old boys, okay? so. There's no dividing line in sexual violence, no, no gender, no age, no ethnicity, no socioeconomic, no faith tradition. So not to say that boys aren't in this conversation as well, men, like frequently, uh, this, is, this is definitely a conversation that I have across all gender conversations, sexuality conversations. Why do we allow this to just be so common? Like, like well, I'd love to get your opinion there. Well, it's, we don't talk about it, right? Also, we blame the victim. You know, my mom, bless her heart, she's a good Southern lady. She did her very best to take to raise me and my brother and sister and to protect us and keep us safe. And when I was a kid, she would say, don't get raped, right? And she was trying to protect me. But what it actually did is when I was sexually assaulted as a child, it made me at fault. 
because I let it happen. I let myself get sexually abused. And so it became like a blame. I became wrong or bad because I let it happen. Now, I was seven, right? <laughs> so uh, in my seven-year-old mind, I it was my fault, right? And we still blame victims, you know, oh, you know, how could she let that happen? Or where was she? Or what was she wearing? You know, what were they doing? Was there drug and alcohol involved? It's such a norm as you described, right? People will come up to me and say, oh, you know, it's just the way it is. It's just how it is. It's how, it's how it's always been. Well, just because it's been that doesn't mean it's okay. I believe that we can live in a world where sexual violence is the exception and not the rule. And unfortunately, it's the rule today. And sexual violence is not about sex. It's about power and control. It's about I want to have control over you. I want to dominate you. I want to shame you, humiliate you. Also, sex really sells, right? They use a lot of marketing, you know, like you watch a commercial for a hamburger and you've got the supermodel wearing a bathing suit eating the hamburger. What does that have to do with the hamburger at all? Zero. And sex, you know, has become very mainstream. You know, in our lifetime, we went from TV where the parents slept in separate beds <laughs> to, to they slept in the same bed to where now we get to watch them actually have sex almost on TV, right? And it really, it's really changed, right? And so kids are getting sexual messages a lot younger. They're getting pressured to be sexual. And not saying that sex is bad, but I, I don't think we should be using it to market to seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds in life or exposing them to that. And so if we want to live in a world where sexual violence is the exception, not the rule, that's the message that should be being delivered. What we can do is we can talk about it. Remember, nobody wanted to talk about sexual violence when I started. And that's changing. Me Too movement, the athletes, human trafficking awareness is becoming much more mainstream. Hollywood, it's becoming more acceptable to talk about the subject in a lot of communities, but there are a lot of communities where it's not. It's not accepted. I also get a lot of people that came up that come up to me, I do a lot of public speaking, and they say, you know, this happened to me, and I told my mom, and she told me not to tell anybody, or it was my uncle, and my mom said that I was a liar, or not to give mom a bad rap, you know, and sometimes it's the mom actually doing the abuse, right? You know, women are sexual predators, too, and so we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go, and this is a step in the right direction, getting involved with organizations like Grateful Garment, talking about sexual violence, talking to our kids, letting them know that this is not an appropriate behavior, and yet if it happens, to please, you know, come forward and talk about it, right? Yeah. Untreated sexual violence in kids, and anybody it's bad, but in kids it's especially bad it sets the whole trajectory of their life just way downhill. Um, children that are sexually abused are seven times less likely to graduate from high school. Twice as likely, or three times more likely to be a victim of, of any kind of violence in life. Twice as likely to be sexually assaulted. Then you have things like mental health issues, 
self-harm, cutting, eating disorders, uh, becoming a sexual predator themselves, um, also drug and alcohol addiction, suicide. All of these things are real realities of somebody who's been sexually abused. And so we need to, to change that, change the trajectory, which was now been twisted and turned to a stronger way. And how we do that is through communication, communicating with that young person, getting them the counseling and the support services they need, letting them know that they are not at fault. You know, just like I went on believing this was my fault because I let this happen. And, um, and having conversation, you know, letting, teaching our young young people that it's not okay for you to put your hands on anybody in an inappropriate way, and it's not okay for anybody to do this to you. Yeah, I love that. Um, and you know, that's, that's precisely why the IT cast exists. You know, IT is talking about the things that we don't wanna talk about at the dinner table. So yeah. yeah, having these conversations and really just allowing them to exist and to thrive. Because um, the more people we're talking about it, the fewer places it has to hide. And, you know, people are like, I don't know what to do to change it, right? And I'm really clear that one person can change the world. I mean, I didn't know how to change it, and I started a clothing closet, and it and it kind of blew up. And, and really, I'm just Lisa. I'm not, like, I don't have an S on my chest. I'm not a superwoman. I just was somebody that found what was going on in my community unacceptable. And it's happening in all of our communities, wherever you live. And, you know, if you are a person that wants to step in and change that, you can get involved in the work that the Grateful Garment Project does. Um, we are running an all-year, all 2021 program or campaign called Amplifying Dignity. And that's where people can get involved. They can volunteer. We have virtual volunteer opportunities that you could help with. You could uh, support our work. You could donate uh, money or brand new clothing so that we can provide resources. We have openings on our board of directors right now. You could, if you want to get involved in a big way, which, hey, that might be a good thing for you. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you could get involved. There's just so many different ways that people could help. And it doesn't mean like you have to do this huge life-changing thing. It's the little things that make all the difference in the world. Volunteering virtually for 10 hours could literally change many people's lives. Um, the other part of the campaign that we're doing is called Operation Esteem. And what this does is it provides, it incentivizes young people who have been sexually violated to come back for counseling and treatment and medical exams because young people, especially young people that are unaccompanied, the likelihood of them coming back is about 32%. But when we incentivize them to come back with $5 gift cards, the return rate went from 32% to 87%. That's so. incredible. Um, talk more, talk more about the volunteer opportunities and the incentive, like, like that structure. I know it's two separate things, but I want to get more on both of them. 
No, no, it's great. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. So the volunteer opportunities, what we're kind of do is we're setting it up with like this module. There's three modules. And what you do is in each module, there's like, you know, a bunch of different choices. And so you pick one from module A, one from module B, and one from module C. And so you can design your volunteer opportunity to be whatever you're comfortable with. And maybe one of the modules is call 10 people you know and tell them about Grateful Garment Project. Or another one could be make a video about why you're volunteering with Grateful Garment Project and put it on social media. Or another one could be write, write an article for our newsletter. And you have, after you select your module and you, and you uh, can do it all online at our website, gratefulgarment.org, um, <laughs> you uh, then have to complete that 10-hour module and, the, and those things you've selected within 30 days. And most people, it doesn't even take that long, but we give you full 30 days. And then uh, you can sign up for as many of these modules that you want. You just have to complete them one at a time, get them done. And so this is really sort of geared towards uh, students so they can get those hours. But really, anybody could do these modules. Like, anybody could make a difference. And there are things that we're doing already. Like, you know, you may listen to this this cast, this podcast, and then go and say, wow, you know, I heard about Grateful Garment and you're talking to your best friend and you're already doing that volunteer opportunity. It just creates structure, right? And remember, the key thing here is talking about it. The next thing is the um, operation of STEAM, that gift card program. You see, once you're 12 years old in the state of California, you are legally in charge of your reproductive health. And so what that means is you can uh, seek STD testing, you can seek birth control or termination, and you can also have a rape kit done without parental consent or knowledge, which means that you get a 13-year-old that's been assaulted that ends up at the hospital somehow. They undergo this forensic exam process, and nobody can tell their parents or their guardian without written consent from this young person. So those young people that come unaccompanied, the likelihood of them ever coming back for any type of follow-up medical appointment to make sure they're healing properly, uh, the two additional STD tests that need, because you need to have three to make sure that you're free and clear from any diseases, or any of the counseling or case management necessary to, for them to emotionally and mentally heal from this trauma against their being. Um, Every time they come back, they're eligible for a $5 gift card up to 10 times. And if the agency has the ability to see them more than 10 times, they can renew for an additional 10. So if you think about it, $50 or even as much as $100 versus a lifetime of untreated sexual violence. I mean, in my mind, that's a no-brainer. So, so people can get with Operation Esteem. There's a website, operationesteem.org. Operationesteem.org. Okay. And let me get this straight. People who are survivors of sexual assault, there are free counseling services out there for people between 12 and 24, and they're not taking advantage of them. That's correct. And for $5, you can incentivize someone to take on actually even just one counseling session to benefit their healing. 
Grateful Garment is like one of the best kept secrets. Our marketing campaign is really where two or more gather, Lisa talks, right? Uh, we're a very small organization that has a significant impact every day. People want to get involved. They want to help. They just don't either know that we exist or know how to do it. Join me, join you, and the idea of having a world where sexual violence doesn't exist, right? And that we teach our children and our society something different and better. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Can you talk? You know, the other thing I just want to say is uh, people have a really misconception about what sexual violence is. So I just want to define it a little bit first, right? Yes. So sexual violence, as I said, is not about sex. It's about control and domination and humiliation. Same thing with human trafficking. Human trafficking could not exist if there were not buyers, right? Like the whole supply and demand thing. And when you have uh, people that are buying other people, that's, that's just not acceptable. Also, people think that human trafficking happens to people that come from somewhere else, but 60% of human trafficking victims are U.S.-born citizens. There are children that are being bought and sold. And um, and the sad thing is here in California, about uh, 40, 49% of them are people of color, right? It's almost half of them. And um, it's unacceptable whether they're white, black, purple, polka dot, it doesn't matter. It's not okay to buy and sell another human being. I mean, it's really modern day slavery. And it's just not acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, I have to say it shocked me earlier when you shared that San Francisco has the highest numbers in human trafficking. Um, and, and just so that the audience knows, I mean, like we're coming up on January, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And like, this is not, this is a big deal. And it's something that's bigger than we think it is. It's been going on longer than we care to talk about or acknowledge. And it's always in the background. So like really just getting getting present to that is so powerful. Please share more. It's happening all around them. Sexual violence is happening all around them. Human trafficking is happening all around them. It's hidden a lot, you know, but there's signs. Uh, and San Francisco Bay Area is a key location because there's a lot of different nationalities and belief systems and everything that come together. It's also a major port major airports, major highways. I mean, all of the way that we move people around, you know, they're, uh, they're just, you know, trucked around like cattle, like you would move cattle, right? Um, and so it makes sense. There's a lot of money here. People have money to, to, to make, to spend on this type of thing. And so it's unfortunate it happens. Can you share some examples of sexual violence that people might not be familiar with? Mm, yeah, uh, you know, in the COVID-19 world, what we're discovering is that many of the victims, you know, like COVID-19 did not stop sexual violence, it has shifted a little bit. So there's a growing number of sexual violence being done against senior citizens. As the baby, baby boomers are getting older and a lot of them are in managed care or they have caretakers at home, um, 
sexual violence is happening, especially those that are in uh, facilities, right? With COVID-19, many of people couldn't actually go in and see their people. And that kind of check and balance of loved ones being able to, to check on their seniors uh, made it easy for perpetrators to really abuse them. 60% <clears throat> of sexual violence against seniors is typically done by a member of their family or somebody that is caring for them. And it's not uncommon for the member of the family to know that the other person is abusing the senior. Um, and they're just are not making a choice to stop it. Um, also, same thing with children and women. A lot of them are being locked in the house under the shelter in place with their perpetrators. And the normal avenues of escape that they would have access to it, going to school, going to a job, getting relief because the perpetrator is going to work, they don't exist. So it really puts them in a situation where they are with that person like 24 seven. And the rise of alcoholism has gone up as a result of sexual violence. Also crimes, uh, you know, violence against family, you know, wives and families, gun violence, all different types of things are happening because people are locked together and there's no escape. And so it's really kind of surprising, you know, you logic would dictate that the numbers would go down, but they haven't they haven't really gone down at all. They've just shifted. Um so that was really a surprise with COVID nineteen. Also, other, you know, gosh, I could tell you stories. We had um, we had this woman who was trying to support, she was divorced, she had three daughters, she was trying to support her three daughters, and she was working three part-time jobs because she couldn't get a full-time job. You get a lot of people that they can't get full-time jobs, so they end up working multiple part-time jobs. And she moved in with her extended family to help her with the kids while she was working these three part-time jobs. And what ended up happening is a, a male in her extended family started sexually abusing the oldest daughter and then the middle daughter. And then he thought, you know, I could also make money. And so he started selling them to other men to have sex with. And he would tell the girls, if you say anything, we're going to kick you out on the street and you and your mom, you guys will all be homeless. And so when he started sexually abusing the youngest one, and we're talking they were like 11, 12, and 14 when it started, right? And it went on for over a year. And then when he was getting ready to start selling the youngest one to other people, the oldest one finally came forward and told someone what was going on. And then you would think that that's where the story would end and there would be a happy situation. But no, what happened is, they did not have enough foster placement for all the girls. So the two oldest ones got put in juvenile hall because there was no way to put them. So they got put in jail to keep them safe, which makes no sense. And so the courts approached the father who was living in Southern California and said, hey, can you take your daughters? And he said, yes. And then they said they have to have their own bedroom. So they, he, they had to quickly find a new place to live that had a bedroom for the girls. And they spent all their money trying to move into this new home. And they didn't have money to have beds and furniture for the new girls. So the court says, no, we're gonna keep the girls in juvenile hall until you have money 
to get beds for these girls. And that's when we were approached by the agency that said, these girls are being held. They've been in juvenile hall all this time because they were victimized. And we want to get them out of there. Can you help us with the bed? And we're like, absolutely. We bought a bunk bed with a trundle and three mattresses and all the bedding and a dresser with nine drawers because they have to have a place to keep their belongings also. And the whole thing cost about $1,000 to get these girls what they needed so that they were not in juvenile hall because they were victims. And so that's a no-brainer, but that's just like one of so many examples I could give where uh, sexual violence is not the except is not the exception that people that we should be able to trust and count on have let young folks down, and the system has not always worked in their favor. And where Grateful Garment could do a little thing that changed everything. And so, yeah. Oh, that was happened in the area. So, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, like tragedy upon tragedy, and we could talk for another hour or more if we're getting into the foster care and the child welfare system. But, you know, just really the difference that was able to be made for these young girls and, and, their, and their dad, you know, it's like people don't get that parents also go through a number of challenges dealing with the state and dealing with systems and finances. And yeah, I'm also hearing that, you know, we're as we talk about human trafficking, we talk about sexual violence, we talk about assault, a lot of times people will see something and assume, you know, like it's um, to call uh, someone who's under 18 a child prostitute as though they have consent in the matter. It's like things like that where people just don't get what they're seeing and what it actually is in the background. So like really being able to call that out. Well, you know, in my mind, any if you were to talk to people that are adults that are that claim they're making the choice to to sell their body to support themselves, you'll find out that the majority of them were sexually victimized as a child, right? And remember, it warps your perception of what is a norm, right? So really, I would argue that even somebody that's making the choice to be a sex worker as an adult is really not at choice in the matter, right? They've had the trajectory of their life changed. But that's a debate for another day. Um, the reality is under federal law, um, a child does not have the ability to consent to sex. So even two 16-year-olds having sex under that federal law is considered sexual assault. They're sexually assaulting each other. But the thing is, is that no child makes the choice to sell their body to another, right? Uh, if, they're, if they are making the choice, it's because they're in such dire circumstances. They're homeless. Homeless kids are just perfect fodder for human traffickers, right? Especially in the scenario where you get somebody that is from the queer community, they've come out to their family and they've been tossed costs on the street or maybe they're, they're transgender or something like that and they're just th thrown away because their families cannot deal and 
uh, or they're being sexually abused at home and they're running from that, they end up as trafficking uh, fodder. And so they're sold again and again and again. You, you know, you hear these situations like, how does a 12-year-old that's being sold eight to 10 times a day ever grow up to have a normal life? Like, you know, how, how, does, how does that ever happen? And we certainly don't have the support systems in place to really give the long-term care that that child needs. But we all do the best that we can. And so, yeah, sexual violence to minors and human sexual trafficking is heinous. It's heinous. It's heinous for any grown person to look at a 12-year-old and think, oh, you're sexy. Like, that doesn't make sense. Or to look at a 7-year-old, right, and think that 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 is acceptable behavior. It's just not. It's or not. to blame them or, you know. To blame them, yeah. <laughs> This, this is really, like I said, it, it, it's not a choice, you know. It's not a choice that they make of their own free will. This is a modeled behavior. And no, we shouldn't blame the victims. It's, like I said, it shouldn't matter what people are wearing. It shouldn't matter uh, whether this is all they know, right? They don't know how to support themselves or somebody is coercing them you know they have a boyfriend you know people think of they don't realize it there are two types of human traffickers in the world and I'm sure there's many but the two main type are you have the Romeo type and you have the gorilla type the Romeo type is the kind you kind of see on TV you know the more the pimp that that is the boyfriend that's you know got a bunch of people that they're putting out to help support the family they have you know, groom them, they've done all that type of stuff. And it's really a kind of a, almost like a Stockholm syndrome type of thing going on, right? And then you have the gorilla traffickers. And a gorilla trafficker is the case where we read in the newspaper about they bust a house and there's all these young women tied and chained to bed, you know, or they use things like when a gorilla trafficker grooms somebody, some young person they've grabbed up off the street male or female, they use a lot of, they beat them, they beat them with objects, they rape them one right after the other, you know, where they just, you know, they'll be raped six times in a row in an hour, right? Uh, and they'll do this again and again and again until they will, the victim will do anything to just not be abused anymore, right? Like the idea of having sex with 10 different strangers a day, so much more desirable than being beaten with objects and violently raped again and again. And so that becomes a new acceptable norm in that situation. And it's, it's, uh, it's the most heinous thing that anyone can think about. Yeah. Not a warm, fuzzy subject at all. But so important, so, so important. Our children, this is our future. What future are we building? for our world and for our children and our grandchildren if we teach them to be overtly sexual is acceptable and that to cheat and to, to treat people as objects and chattel is acceptable and that we should turn a blind eye or we should blame the victim. None of that makes sense, right? And it's truly about ignorance, you know? An 18-year-old girl is not making the choice to sell her body on the street at all. She's been trained. This has been modeled behavior. So.
Yeah. Wow, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up this conversation? Um, I'd love to get your information one more time, just the, the websites and the opportunities um, and to know how we can support Grateful Garment Project. Sure, well, first and foremost, you could get involved. Let's get involved, volunteer, talk about what you heard today, talk about the Grateful Garment Project, um, and talk about sexual violence. Eliminate the taboo of it all. Make it acceptable for us to talk about it. Because as long as we are not talking about it, we're not looking at it, it kind of festers like a cancer that undermines the entire fabric of our society. And you know, that's not the world that I want to live in, and I, and I know it's not the world that you want to live in, and I'm sure it's not the world that your your listeners and watchers want to live in. So talk about it. Get involved. Gratefulgarment.org. Um, also, operationesteam.org. Get donate five dollar gift cards. Help us get these young people into the counseling and the therapy they need. No matter how much we try to protect our children, you can't foresee everything. So talk to them about it. Because if we don't talk to them about it, they won't talk to you if it happens. You can't get them the treatment they need. So definitely get involved. Gratefulgarment.org. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone. That is Lisa Blanchard, the Grateful Garment Project, gratefulgarment.org. Thank you so much for being here. January is Nas uh, National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Is that? Yes, um, National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So please do what you can, get involved this month, tell people, have the conversation and don't be afraid to go there. Um, thank you for joining us. I'm Nika Sherell, and this is the ITCAST Real Talk on Sex. We'll see you next time.